From lifestyle, fitness, beauty, travel, relationships, and self-care, Steph's got you covered. Welcome to your safe space, where you can stop what you're doing, relax, and let someone else do the heavy lifting for once. This is the Luxury Dropout Podcast with your host, Stephanie Joplin. What's up, fellow dropouts? It's me, Stephanie Joplin. Welcome back to the Luxury Dropout Podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest. She is a friend, but also someone that I just think is fantastic. And I think you're going to love her too. Her name is Brenda Durowan. She is a attorney here in Houston and she practices family law. She has her own practice and she was named one of the top 40 under 40 years old. So top 40 under 40 by the National Trial Lawyers Association and the 2021 Super Lawyer Rising Star. I mean, she's really something. We talk about a lot of things in today's episode. We're going to talk about her roots. We're going to talk about why she got into family law. We're going to talk about co-parenting 101. We're going to talk about things to think about before you tie the knot with someone, tie your life to theirs. Because you can't be too careful because it's your life, right? You got to look out for yourself first. You got to put that oxygen mask on first before you can help anyone else. You know, normally I talk about relationships in like an emotional capacity and today's going to be different because we're going to be talking about it in a very straightforward and business-like way. So it won't be so woo-woo as normal. It's going to be a little bit more straight to the point. Also, we'll talk about how to be an ally. I think that's really important. How to be an ally to someone who is going through a divorce or has gone through a divorce and is co-parenting or is going through any sort of family law issues. So I think that is super important. This also includes things like adoption. And I know those items are close to many of your hearts. So without further ado, let's get into it and welcome her to the podcast. All right, fellow dropouts, we are here with my friend, Brenda Durowin. Welcome, Brenda, to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. We love having you here on the Luxury Dropout. Now, as you know, it is okay to have luxury goods. It's okay to do luxury things. But the nitty gritty of it is that you and I both know that this life is enriching us with experiences, especially as of late. Right. Wouldn't you agree? I definitely agree. We've had to figure out luxury, right? And COVID and having to figure out what this luxury truly mean when you have to be confined to four walls. Yes, that is so true. I've already introduced you. So everyone knows that you are a family law attorney and you have your own practice, which is absolutely amazing. You're under 35 and you have your own company You have people that work for you, that look up to you. You help people every single day. When you sit down at night with yourself and you're alone, how do you feel? What feelings do you feel inside your heart? Well, there's a lot of feelings that I feel when I lay down in my bed at night thinking about, you know, all of my accomplishments. Some of the words that come to mind is gratitude, gratefulness, right? I come from a very small town humble beginnings. And so to look at my life and to look at all I've been able to accomplish, I'm sometimes shocked and surprised, but I'm also grateful. Um, It's been an interesting and amazing journey. And I I have all the feels when I think about, you know, where I am today in life. Now, family law is obviously probably one of the hardest things you can do as an attorney, probably one of the hardest laws you can practice. What made you decide on family law? 
Right. So you're absolutely right. Family law, it's full of drama. It's baby mama, baby daddy drama. Uh, like, you call my office, you are not calling because you want a million bucks. You call me because somebody is trying to rip your heart out of you. I chose family law because I thought I wanted to do be a corporate attorney. I tried that, did some internships, and I just didn't like it. I have the interactive humans with people. Then I thought I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney, which is, uh, I'm glad I did it. I just couldn't walk for that. That's another practice area you definitely have to have a heart to do. There's a lot of people who need help and there's a lot of people, minorities who need minorities in that, in that field. But I did it for a little bit. I did not like it. There was a situation where I went through like a testy situation with my son while I was studying for the bar exam. And we don't go into debt about depth about, you know, family law litigation or things like that. They teach you the bare minimum. So as you could imagine, I was a law student. I was poor. I was broke. I didn't have the money to spend thousands of dollars on an attorney. So I opened up this family handbook and I started reading and trying to represent myself. And I fell in love with the law because you can really well fell in love with the law of family law. Because you really get the opportunity to help guide people in the most turbulent, you don't know, portions of their lives and kind of help them see the light at the end of the tunnel. I love kids. I love talking with people. I love helping people. And it's just rewarding for me. So that's why I chose family law. That is awesome. So it was truly personal to you. Like you were in it. I was in it. I'm still in it every day. You're you're still, I know. Well, you're still co-parenting, obviously, right? So how did that go for you when you learned all the things you did? You were in law school. Did you, in fact, represent yourself? What happened with that? So a lot of times cases handle themselves outside of uh, court. So I didn't actually have to litigate my case. I had to prepare for litigation if, in fact, it went that route. Um, But my case was handled outside of court. So I didn't get into the nitty gritty that I do today. So if it's outside of court, does that mean mediation or does that yeah. mean okay. that mediation? So where I practice in Texas, but specifically in Harris County, in order for you to even go before a judge, unless there's like extreme circumstances or there's an emergency, the court requires you to go to mediation before you actually come into court. So yes, I'm, it was handed to mediation. Great. Okay. Well, you still have to have an attorney present, right? For mediation. Well, it's advisable to have an attorney right. present because you don't know your rights. You don't okay. know what you can have, what you can't have, what you can ask for, what you can't ask for. You know, as parents, we know what's in the best interest of our children. And sometimes those things cannot necessarily be put into a court order unless the other party is agreeable to that because we have standards that are in our Texas Family Code book that judges have to go by. And there's just a lot of things that you need to know in order to get into mediation and to negotiate favorable result for you and yourself. Right. And you say, you say we as parents know what's best, but I really feel that sometimes they don't know what's best or they don't care, I should say. They don't care what's best. They want to win for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced that with my recent ex that was in mediation with his ex, baby, mm-hmm. mama, whatever drama all that was. Wow. And she was asking for stuff like in the settlement, you know, and like what he gets and all that stuff. And she had asked for like a tummy tug and breast augmentation and a, and a BBL what? in mediation. Was she represented by counsel? Yes. And I guess like his attorney was like, 
I've been practicing for like 50 years or something crazy, like something like a long time. And he's like, I've never, I have never heard anyone ask for plastic surgery, like ever. Well, listen, Sam, at the end of the day, we are extensions of our clients, right? We advocate for our clients. So if the client is telling me, hey, attorney Duran, I want you to go in there and I want you to ask for a BBL and new tits and a new face. I have to, I mean, obviously I'm going to advise him like there's no way in hell you're going to get these things unless he's available. Yeah. Because you're asking me this and I am an extension of you, I have to go in and advocate for my client. But of course, if when there's children involved, uh, you know, there's those cases when there's no kids involved and it's just strictly financial property cases. But the cases where there's children, we have a thing here in Texas where it says, you have to do what's in the best interest of the child. The best interest of the child is the law. That's how we determine custody. That's how we determine child support. Mm. That's how we determine visitation. And it's important for us to talk to our clients because sometimes they do go and think that this is something that they're winning, right? No one's winning when a child middle of litigation. There is no wins. There's no losses. And that's a conversation that I have with my clients. Um, I always tell them, listen, when you go to mediation, you should not feel like you're winning or losing. You should feel like you've done what's right for your child. Yeah. And in court as well, you should never feel like you won. Now, obviously, there are, are those cases where it's like, hell yeah, we definitely won because we that was truly what was in the best interest of the child. Maybe the child was in a toxic living environment or an abusive situation and somebody wins custody. And, and that is a win because the child is in a better situation. But you're right, something emotion. Very emotional. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's a fine line. There must be some sort of boundaries that you have to set with your clients because I'm sure that, you know, not everyone like, say I came to you my relationship with you as my attorney would be a little bit different than just some random person that came off the street that you don't know, but is paying you obviously to retain your services. But Mm -hmm. there's got to be that boundary of when do you get involved and say, hey, like you need to go to see someone about what's happening up here. When is that footage in? That conversation is day one. In fact, I collaborate with different counselors and therapists in my practice because like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, this is highly emotional. You're not, I mean, when you are dealing with divorce, child custody, this is nothing where you're excited and you're just like in a great head space. Like your world is truly, it feels like your world is falling apart. Right. So when you come to me for a consultation and you decide to sign as a client, I put pamphlets in your new client folder and then I have a conversation with my clients about mental health because if you've not watched the news, These cases can turn really, really nasty and people have committed suicide because they've lost custody. People have killed their families because whatever was not one in their favor. And so it is important anytime that you're going through any situation, it doesn't have to be a divorce or it doesn't have to be even a bad thing that you're going through. We always have to check in and make sure that we're balancing ourselves the best way that we can. Have you know, I mean, are there telltale signs? Have you know, like, have you gotten more quick at picking up on those signs? Right. So when someone's coming into my office and they're not thinking logically, like they're not trying to make decisions in the best interest of the child, or they're just, you know, trying to make the other party miserable in some way, that's a telltale sign that they haven't dealt with their own shit, right? And so because they haven't dealt with their own shit, they're trying to make someone else suffer. So the telltale sign, 
Or maybe they have lost all hope, right? Maybe they feel, I can't win. She has or he has all this evidence and maybe they have multiple attorneys or whatever. And so they've lost all hope. That can also be a telltale sign that someone needs to go get some mental health services. Okay, well, that's good to know. I always wonder that it must be really tough on you. And obviously moving to the other side of things, of things being tough on you, Have there been situations where no matter how many years go by, a situation, it has stuck in your head and remained in your heart, in your gut, maybe involving a child or something like that? Do you have situations like that? I do. There was a case that it was actually my first custody case ever. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was supposed to be super easy. Dad (laughs) was just wanting to get visitation and mom was denying him visitation. Okay, great. This is an enforcement action. All we need is the order. We go to court. This turned out into a whole custody case. I don't know if you know anything about about Munchausen by proxy. Of course. Mm -hmm. This was textbook Munchausen by proxy. Mom was doping this kid up, making this kid believe that he or she, I can't say, had all of these disabilities constantly in and out of hospitals and doctor's offices. And it was my, I had never seen, I've seen it on TV. Yeah. Never seen this in real life. And here I am, the attorney taking on this huge case, thought it was going to be an enforcement action, turned out to be a custody case. The judge in the first hearings that we had instructed dad's visitation, like he wanted to give up on this case. And I actually started working free because I started peeling back layers of this case. And so it got really, really crazy, but we ended up winning custody for dad and he had this beautiful child. And that case sticks with me. It's just a reminder that you have to fight even when your clients feel like they don't want to fight anymore because they feel like they're losing. Custody cases, divorce cases, they take time and you have to have a fighter. You have to have someone who is willing to go to the end with you with these cases because it is highly emotional and you would have your highs and you would have your lows and you needed an attorney to just tell me, listen, you got to continue fighting. Like I see something in this case that you probably don't see. At the end of the day, you could tell me when you want to end this case, but if you allow me, I will continue to fight for you. So yes, that case has stuck with me and it's a daily reminder to always fight for my clients. And it's a reminder that Sometimes you don't win in the beginning. You don't get good results in court. But if you stay the course, everything will work out. I was going to say, for those who don't know what Munchausen by proxy is, go watch the act on Hulu about mm-hmm. Gypsy Rose Blanchard and you'll find out what that is. Yeah. <laughs> go watch. The, it is exactly the same. Oh, that is so wild. Okay, but how case though, I was just like, what the? did I get myself into? (laughs) How did they discover, like, obviously, I mean, was it medical stuff that they discovered? I date a physician, right? And so I'm going through these cases and I'm trying to learn terminology and things. And he's, you know, I'm asking him these questions and he's teaching me and I'm learning. He's cute, by the way. Yeah, he's really hot. (laughs) So I'm learning things. And so I'm putting my lawyer hat on and then now I'm this fake medical doctor and I'm going through these medical records and things are just not adding up. Right, um, right. And so I end up getting the child, uh, getting the court to order that the child goes to a different doctor that they never went to. And that doctor seen the same thing that I seen and took this kid off of all these medications. And it was bizarre. It was, wow. Yeah. I figured it out because of my honey. 
helping me oh out. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. And the kids' attorney was amazing too. So for those who don't know, oftentimes kids don't have voices in cases, which is, is so crazy to me because they should have a say-so and a lot of things. They have feelings and things of that nature. So we also had an amazing amicus attorney who was able to come in on the case, represent the child's best interest, and was able to see some of the same things that me and dad were able to see. So there was a separate attorney to represent the child? Mm-hmm. That, I've never heard of that. That's cool. What's it called, you said? Uh, amicus. Uh, amicus. Am- amicus. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's new. Guys, write that down. That's really important. And that's I, something you can request. So if you have a child maybe under the tw- under, the, under the age of 12, and that's not a hardcore law. It doesn't say, oh, under the age of 12, but it's likely that if the child is under the age of 12, you can ask the court to appoint an amicus to represent your child to kind of have a, another eye. Because remember, you have your attorney and they're fighting like shit for you. They have their attorney and they're fighting like shit for you, but who is truly fighting for the child? It makes complete sense, but I never thought about it. I feel like law and order failed me because that's <laughs> how I know all of my stuff. Obviously. It failed us all, unfortunately. Just like Chicago Med is like what I watch and how I know all of my medical well, stuff. Not it. It's so funny. So, because my guy, he loves all the lawyer shows. He watched Court TV, First 40 Days, like all the, and I'm just like, Oh my God, like, can we find something else? And I'm like watching Chicago Med yeah. and like all the medical shows. So it's so weird how we don't like shows that are, are your profession. I don't know if that's weird or not. I feel like you're in it all day. The last thing you want to do is go be in it again, right? Right, right. That's makes sense to me. Unless it's for research purposes and you like need to give a critique or something like that, then maybe, but otherwise, yeah. So... Let's talk about some prestigious awards you've been given lately, or titles, I should say. Let's talk about Top 40 Under 40 by the National Trial Lawyers Association, which is insane. And 2021 Super Lawyer Rising Star. I mean, are you serious? Like, that's just fantastic. I'm so proud of you. I can't even talk. I'm so proud of you. Like, my friend's a rock star. (laughs) <laughs> so, okay, again, I know that you are appreciative and you are excited, but you need to give yourself some like pats on the back because you worked hard for this, right? It's not just like you didn't just go to law school, mosey onto a law firm, sit in a chair, write a couple, you know, read a couple briefs. Like, I mean, you've done the work. So can you talk about the amount of work that you've put in to get here? Thank you, Steph. I appreciate that. I'm always honored will acknowledge, you know, some of the accolades because I don't, I don't celebrate them enough and I should. But the work that I've done, obviously the educational portion of it all, went to law school three years. Well, first LSAT, that's one. Oh, first, 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 the bachelor's degree. Oh yeah, first the bachelor's yeah, right. Let's look at that, first the SAT, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> then the bachelor's degree and then the LSAT, which is a ridiculous test in and of itself. Ridiculous. Then off school, then, you know, doing your internships and trying to figure out what area of law you want to work in. And then me starting my own law firm, that in and of itself has been the greatest accomplishment that I've been able to accomplish in life is, is creating a business, creating something that I get to dictate the, the day-ins and the operations of. So that's my biggest accomplishment. And it's a lot of no, 
I'm still young. I'm under the age of 35. And so, you know, having people that you boss around and I'm like manage people that you manage. Yes. It's hard because I'm still fun and I don't want to come across as stern and aggressive and boring. So learning that balance of what a boss looks like and not becoming too much of a brand to my employees, that has been hard. Building the foundation, I do all of my own marketing. Mm-hmm. So branding myself, branding my firm, making sure that I'm networking and going out. And on top of it all, staying on top of the laws. Like our laws change every time our, our legislature meets. So I have to stay on top of that. We have continuing legal education. We have a ton of hours that we have to do every year. Yes. So learning the law, making sure I'm standing on top of the law, learning the law and learning the business of law because no one teaches us that in law school. They right. don't teach how to run a business. They don't teach us how to get clients or how to build hours or how to right. make free customer service and all of those great things. So that has been the hardest. <laughs> I mean, it's, it be, it's being an entrepreneur as well as an attorney, yeah. which is huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So it's basically like two huge jobs that are super hard. Being a lawyer and being an entrepreneur, you're absolutely right. Two hard jobs at the same time. And yeah, you're a very smart woman. And I knew that the second I met you. In fact, I didn't even know you were an attorney when we met. We met at the gym, FYI, everybody. <laughs> we were being trained by the same. I haven't worked out in two months because of my accident. So I very wish I got the opposite. I got this. Go, got this. I'm with you. I'm with you. I got the flab going. <laughs> so I was intimidated by you. And I don't, I don't want to say intimidated in a negative way, but your presence is very strong. And I was like, that woman is super fucking strong woman. And I want to be her friend. I don't know if she'll let me, but I'm, I want to be her friend. Her presence was intimidating. I was like, look at her. Like, cause first of all, let's talk about it. I came into the gym and you were like super fit, like doing all these crazy fucking workouts. I had just started working out again and I'm like huffing and puffing and you're like, you got it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you were so strong. What are you talking about? Oh, so your presence was just that you came off as like the sweetest, most kindest person. And when you spoke to me, I was like, oh my God, because I wanted to say something to her, but I didn't want to say something to her, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you never know if you, you know, are bothering someone, but I felt very good vibes from you, although powerful. And I just said to myself, I just have to know this woman. I got to be in her energy. And when we have hung out, you just bring such great energy. And I, I don't know how you do it because you give so much energy of yourself to not only your clients and your business associates and your employees and your boyfriend and your family and to your friends, but also you are an activist as well. You are, I would say, an integral part of the Houston BLM movement last summer. And I, wa- I would love for you to talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, thank you. So last year we had the George Floyd situation. And I don't know, I felt moved in that moment. Like I could not sit at home and not do something. Like it just hit different. Every day there is a situation where we're hearing about a minority and specifically African-American men or women being shot down police for unwarranted reasons or for reasons maybe it was warranted but it was over and beyond what was necessary for that particular situation the first thing that I did was I posted on my social media there were a lot of protesters who were getting arrested 
And I said, you know what? Enough is enough. And if you've been arrested for being a protester, I want to represent you for free, period. And as you know, this situation was national. It was everywhere. And so there were people, when I posted that, people reached out to me and there were people calling me to represent them in Chicago or represent them in California or represent them in Louisiana or represent them like all of these places. And I'm only licensed in the state of Texas, so I couldn't help these people. But what I said, you what? I have a platform and I have resources. I know how to organize. What I'm going to do is start a case of attorneys who are willing to do the same thing that I'm doing, which is represent protesters pro bono. And I'm going to start this database and I'm going to host it on my website. I'm a family law attorney. I don't do a lot of criminal defense work, but I have done it before. And so I hosted this database on my website, posted it on social media. And I want to say we had over 500 attorneys on our list from around the United States. And so if you were arrested, you had a free attorney. Now, there were cases where, you know, if you were breaking glass or or doing something crazy, like if you're damaging property, I couldn't represent you. That was my baseline. But if you were just in the street or doing something, I represented you. Yeah. Then we got to a situation where we were out protesting one night. I was out in the streets. (laughs) And then Houston police kind of like, got a group of people and encountered, centered them into like this pastor, like this area, like this fenced-in area. Okay. They're protesting in the street and they herded them into this pastor. I think it was like over 900 people. And if you think about that, like, hey, you told me to get out of the street, but now you're herding me into this space where I can't go anywhere. So I thought that was so not okay, right? Unfair. And so what we did was myself and Andrea McKnight and a lot of other, Andrea McKnight and a lot of other attorneys, we got together and we said enough was enough. We wrote letters to the district attorney's office. We organized a group of attorneys to, you know, kind of speak to our DA. And we were able to get all of those cases dismissed just based on our presence being there and based on our legal expertise and knowing what the law is. And just gathering witnesses to to really tell these protesters stories about what happened. So that was one of my activist moments was yeah. just, you know, helping protesters on the George Floyd situation and making sure that the DA dismissed those cases because yeah. it was warranted. And that was not the first nor the last time you have done things pro bono. I remember for your birthday month, you made an announcement that you would be representing a client pro bono in celebration of your birthday. I just really admire that. And I know that is, you know, a difficult financial burden sometimes to take on all by yourself. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of our community, of our Houston community. I think that is truly so selfless. Yeah, I love doing it. Attorney fees are not cheap, but like I said, I remember that time where I had to study family law on my own because I just could not afford an attorney. And I don't do these things for recognition at all. I know (laughs) because I love helping people. Like it fills me up. It makes my energy increase. And for whatever reason, I truly love helping people. And I love helping people who can't help themselves. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, I know you you have published a few, written a few blogs on topics that even though maybe our listeners haven't read them, maybe you can give us a few tips on a few of the subjects that you've spoken about. The first one is, I want to know how can I be an ally, right? So how can I be an ally, say, hypothetically, if I have a girlfriend who's going through a divorce and a really nasty custody battle, or I have a boyfriend who is going through a divorce or again, a custody battle or, re- or you know, a parent who's going through a divorce with my other parent. How are you an ally? Right. So allyship is so important. And we talked about the mental health aspect of these cases. When people are going through custody battles or going through a divorce, They really need somebody to be supportive of them. So you can be an ally simply by just just acknowledging that someone is going through a situation that maybe you've not experienced before, but you could probably relate to if you think about the worst heartbreak that you've ever had or if you've ever lost anything. Maybe it's an animal or, or a friend or anything. It feels like when people are going through divorce or custody cases, like they're going through a death. Like it is a true grieving process for them. So in order to be an ally, you just need to be able to be available, allow individuals to vent to you without judgment, right? No one wants to be judged because they have a judge, right? They have a judge that they're going to eventually have to go to and they don't need it to be other people around them. And then also just helping them to get out of the funk, right? Showing them that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We get so into whatever moment we're in that we don't think that, hey, this is only a fraction of my life. This is not my total life. So just getting them out of the house if they're depressed, recognizing if they need mental health services and just being there for them. What do you do if you're like, hey, your friend is like, hey, let's go slash his tires. Like, how do you talk them off the freaking ledge? Like the ride or die bitch inside me is like, yeah, let's go do it. But I'm like, no, we can't obviously do that. So be honest. I was that friend right before I became the attorney. If you want to slash his tires, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's put on our black hoodies and our face masks. Like, fuck yeah, right? But now that I'm an attorney, I'm an attorney and I know that there are serious consequences behind yeah, doing yeah. it. Yeah. I would say if someone's wanting to slash someone's tire, there is emotion that they're trying to get out, right? right? They are frustrated and they are putting all of this energy into this guy or this girl or this property or whatever because they've not found a way to analyze those feelings or express those feelings. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend if you have a friend that's wanting to do that to find something else for them to do. Maybe get a fat head up his face and get some paint gun and shoot his face or her face or go to one of those smash rooms where you can just smash and throw glasses so they can get yeah. that frustration. Redirect that energy to something that is going criminal. Yes. <laughs> and that will allow them to kind of fit and express themselves. So in the moment, like if you can't find a place that's open, if it's late at night, I'll just be like, let's go get some ice cream, baby. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Ice cream. Yeah. Instead of that, let's go get ice cream. Oh, you're right though. Because like back in the day, I was so mad at my, like now my ex-husband, but at the time he was my fiance and he wouldn't let me in our house that we shared with our friend Eric in Vegas. And I was 
in my car and he like wouldn't let me in the door, wouldn't let me in the door, wouldn't pick up the phone. I was like, it was his house. He, like, he owned it. So I was like, I'm just going to casually like tap the garage. Like just like just a little like a tap. But no, no it wasn't really a tap. It was I kind of fucked up the garage door pretty bad. <laughs> Let me in the fucking house. <laughs> yeah, that story will not die because, of course, like his whole fraternity heard about it. And then even to this day, like 15 years later, they're like, remember when Stephanie ran into your garage? Like or ran into the gar- Ryan's garage because like I don't talk to him anymore, but they always bring it up. Or they're like, remember when Ryan's friend was trying to hold- I won't repeat his name because he I don't know if he wants me to tell the story about him. But <laughs> do you remember when this we'll call him Harry. Come here. Okay. Here. Do you remember when Harry was holding you back from you trying to get to Ryan and you accidentally gave him a black eye? And I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't know what you're talking no. about. Well, I don't recall. I don't, I'm sorry. I think, you know, I'm getting old and I, my memory is just kind of going. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> Allegedly, right? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> okay. Co-parenting 101, right? You've written about this. Give us like just a couple tips on co-parenting 101 that maybe seem obvious to you, but aren't so obvious to most. Right. So on my social media, I uh, collaborate with Anne Louise, who is a, actually she is a parenting coach and psychologist and it's called co-parenting in 2021. One thing that I've learned with co-parenting is you have to be able to one, always put the child first, right? Best interest of the child. One. That's number one. Number two is be flexible, right? Things are going to always go your way. Things aren't always going to go his way. You got to learn how to be flexible. Communicate like hell. I am a partner with this app called Talking Parents, and it is so helpful for parents to find resources that can help facilitate an effective co-parenting relationship. And one, that app is one, but there are so many others out there where you can share calendars. You know, it's hard to kind of keep up with your kids when you have kids doing football and tutoring and going to doctor's appointments. Find resources where you guys can communicate and share information about your child in one centralized location. What else about co-parenting? Real quick about the co-parenting app. Can you communicate through that app? Or like, for example, I know that there's some court mandated things where you have to communicate solely through a, like a portal or an app or something? Yeah. So Talking Parents is a, a texting app, but it's also an app where you can submit certain things like maybe out-of-pocket medical expenses, as well as share calendars. And you're right, Talking Parents and is one of those apps that can be court-ordered. It's usually only court-ordered in those situations where it is high conflict or there has been some situation of abuse. Absent of that, parents can mutually agree to sign on to a co-parenting app to make parenting efficient for them. And I recommend it because it is and it's automatically admissible in court as evidence. Yes. And it keeps everything in one place and not Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, text. Think about it. If he did something or did something two or three months ago, I know in my phone, I delete stuff after what, a month? Uh Uh-huh days or something like that. So if you have this co-parenting app, nothing is deleted. And so when your attorney needs evidence or needs to know when you notify the other parent of a certain thing, you can literally go into the app and it saves it for forever. That's um, smart. iPhones, you might lose your phone. You might forget your iCloud information. It just takes too much time to try to find things like emails and text messages. So I recommend it. Cool. 
Anything else that you would recommend for co-parenting? There's other things if you want to read up on that or hear. Yeah, book, yeah, yeah. Of course. You can check out my page at Bring Is My Lawyer on, on Instagram. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then things to consider before saying I do. Uh, that is the million dollar question. Yes. <laughs> that is also another thing that can be found on my Instagram. Absolutely. That was a great conversation. I met with like so many different professionals to come together to give advice on things to consider before you say I do. As a family attorney, the number one thing I'm going to say is consider a prenuptial agreement. I talked about this not too long ago, but prenuptial agreements used to be a thing for men to get, right? They were the breadwinners back in the days and they had all these assets that they wanted to protect. But if you look at the statistics and the numbers, women are actually starting to make a lot more money than men. And so although we love to get married and that is our, we want to have this dream wedding, we also have assets and things that we need to protect. Not only those things that we have before we get married, but also the things that we acquire after we get married. So those are conversations that and things that you want to think about before you do. Do you want this long drawn out divorce or do you want something in place to say, you know what, if this thing does not work out, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pay half the bills or you're going to pay me spouse support and I'm going to go find another place to live and you're going to have the house and I'm going to have this. You know, how are we going to divide our assets? Are we just going to go off of Texas law or are we going to, I call it plan, planning for the inevitable. A lot of people get into these marriages and they don't realize that 50% of these marriages are don't last. And so it's almost like a wheel to me. Like you need to plan for the inevitable. We pray that you guys make it, but it is almost certain that you probably won't. So your partner proposes and you talk to him, her, about getting a prenuptial agreement and you say it in the calmest way and the clearest way possible and they freak the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Are we talking red flag or are we talking deal breaker here? Neither. I would say it's all about communication because a prenuptial agreement isn't always a bad thing, right? You can negotiate what you want in your prenuptial agreement. Now, sometimes you guys won't agree on all of those things, but you can leave that out. If it's such a big deal that neither one of you guys want to commit on that, you don't have to agree on that thing in that prenuptial agreement. But it is a contract. It is something that I wouldn't say the red flag, but if it's a big deal, like if it's like a huge deal, then that is going to be a red flag because now you need to think about this person is not considerate of something that is so important to me. And that's a big thing. So if it's it's something huge, like, hey, if we get married, then I want 50 percent of everything. And that's a big deal to you. And he's like, fuck that. I'm on 90 percent. Then, yeah. 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 I was going to say, I mean, if I. When I first got married, I was 22, so I didn't have any assets and really neither did he. But now if I were to get married, I absolutely would want that. I can't help but think when that day comes, if he tries to gaslight me into, <laughs> I don't love you, you know, you don't, you know, I don't love don't you love because me. I'm asking for a prenup, like I will dump his ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care. Right. <laughs> okay. So that's funny. Me and my guy have already had the conversation about a prenuptial agreement. And Good. It's, Done deal. So that was an easy conversation for us. Well, you guys both have solid careers too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. If he was just floating around having an odd job here or there, it would be really beneficial to you and like pretty beneficial to him too. But now it's very mutually beneficial to 
both of you. I, so I, I think that's excellent. And I can't believe you're having those discussions and I'm really excited. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, on the show, I normally talk about, you know, the romantic side of love and like the signs you should look for, the red flags you should look for. And it's kind of more in a romantic sense, emotional sense, but this is very straightforward and the actual like a physical red flag that you would look for. Anything else that you would look for as like a red flag before you marry someone? Obviously, a lot of people don't think about it, but I think it's important to think about religion. Think about money and and debt. How much debt do you have? How much debt does he have? Money Money is up there as one of the top reasons why people get divorced. Financial stability or the lack thereof, right? And so finances is, you know, anything she go digging, but <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or I'm not saying she's gold digging, but you know, fi- finances, you know, how do people spend their money? What do they spend their money on? Are they open to having a conversation about their finance? Because when you come together, you guys need to be able to have the money talk. Another thing is how do they deal with conflict? If you're in a relationship with someone and they're not dealing with conflict well. You guys have arguments. It's not going to get better, right? Just because no. we have this huge ring and this huge wedding, it's going to change the person that they are to their core. And it's not going to change you who you are to your core. So be looking at how you guys resolve conflict. Now, if you're in a new relationship, that's not a big deal. Like you learn to combat with each other, argue with yes. each other, learn to argue with each other. And if both parties are able to come together to figure out how do we argue and it's beneficial for you and beneficial for him or her and her or him and him or however that works, then that's not a red flag. That's you growing in a relationship. But if you get to the point where someone's proposing and you know that you guys have not figured out how to argue with each other, that is a red flag. Toxic. Toxicity. Yeah. Well, I have one more question for you and it's something I ask everybody that's on the show. And it is, if you were walking down the street and you saw 20-year-old Brenda walking towards you and you went and you gave her a big hug and you pulled away and you looked at her, what is one thing that you would tell 20-year-old Brenda? I would slap her on the ass and say, bro, you're going to be doing it in a little bit. You are going to be jets by all this stress of these late nights. All these broke moments where, you know, if you don't have gas for your car and you can't go nowhere because you don't have money, you are going to do just fine. Keep doing what you're doing and just know that you are beautiful. You're going to meet some amazing people and everything is just going to work out just fine. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. It was her, you know, oh, yeah, it was it's uh-huh. flat now, but it was a lot flatter. Than you don't. It's not flat. <laughs> Let's not lie. Let's not lie. Okay. It's kind of daddy-ish, okay? <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the Luxury Drop-On. I hope you enjoyed your time with us. I mean, I learned so much from you in 45 minutes. Uh-huh. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. And I wish you nothing but the best with this podcast. You've thank had you. phenomenal people come on. And I'm just excited for all that you have to bring. Thank you for creating this platform. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just I want to do like you. I want to help other people, especially women, women who have no resources to pay for advice that you just gave me. And now they'll be able to come to this podcast and listen to some really solid advice from, you know, an attorney who knows her shit. And I just I can't thank you enough. So thank you for your time. Absolutely.
Okay, babe, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. Thank you. Well, dropouts, I really hope that you enjoyed that. That was so informative. I learned something brand new today. I hope you did too. I hope this is a great resource for you. Brenda is an absolutely fantastic attorney with a beautiful heart. And she is one of the smartest people I know. So I look forward to seeing you guys next time on The Luxury Dropout. So until next time, I'm sending you love and I will see you soon. That's a wrap for this episode of The Luxury Dropout. Make sure to visit stephaniejoplin.com to find all of Steph's episodes, including full podcast descriptions and photos of her guests. Until next time, besties.